Would you join me in expressing honor and appreciation to Cleve McLaren? Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Y'all are fine. Thank you. I don't know where you got all that from. I'm not that important. We do stay pretty busy. The Lord opens a lot of doors. When you put a scripture verse on, how about use my life verse, if you will? John 9, 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is still day. The night cometh when no man can work. And I'm afraid that day's coming real soon in America if we don't wake up. But it's really an honor to be with you today, and I appreciate it so very, very much. I'm sorry my wife's not with me. I think we got a picture of her to put up on the screen there. Some of you... Uh, believe me, y'all, she's a lot easier to look at than I am. Uh, Easter Sunday was our 49th year of marriage, and we're trying to make 50. One more to go. But uh, as you can see, she was a beauty queen in South Carolina. Go to the next picture, if you will. Some of you saw my wife and daughter on television a few years ago. They were mother-daughter USA a few years ago. I know what you're thinking. You look at me and say, man, you like any Marine ever met. You're lying to start with. How in the world somebody ugly as you get a wife look like that? Well, I was a football coach. I married my cheerleader. I was sort of tricked into it, but I won't let her back out now. I thank God for my wife after being wounded seven times in Vietnam, 41 operations, two and a half years in the hospital. So over 600 Marines and sailors come home, arms off, legs off, eyes out. So about 65% of their wives turn their back. They walk out on their husbands. My bride's been with me every step of the way. And believe me, I thank God he stayed for And I, I just wish that more young men in America could have a wife like her. I just was with six Medal of Honor winners last night and most of last week from World War II, Iwo Jima, right on up to modern day times, Korea, Vietnam, and Persian Gulf, and so forth, and some of my newest Medal of Honor winners and 80 wounded warriors. It's unbelievable how many of their wives have, have walked out on them. Uh, suicides today, 22 a day for active duty. My age group, one every 65 minutes. And uh, to not have a wife and a support to love you and care for you and pray for you, what a blessing. God's bless us with daughters. Tara finished Furman University, our oldest daughter, in political science. God only knows what you do with that kind of major. <laughs> Can't get, can't get a real job. You got to run for something, you know, but she worked for the governor for years. Uh, 17 years ago, she married Lee Rees. You Texans remember Lee's daddy, Dan Rees, oh, yeah. running back for the Cowboys, coached with the Cowboys with Landry, coached the Broncos, Giants, Falcons. That's why they call it NFL, not for long. Boy, can't keep a job, you know. <laughs> they blessed us with twins. Uh, 14 years ago, and then a uh, groundhog baby three years ago. That's why my wife's not with me there. She's got the baby there at home with her right now while they're on a vacation with the older ones. Our younger daughter, Krista, bless her heart, she couldn't go to college. She went to Clemson, but um, <laughs> she killed me. She's Miss Clemson. She married a surgeon from Duke, and they blessed us with twins 17 years ago. So we got them in litters, my family, I guarantee you. But my prayer for the young lady here today would be that when you marry, you'd be half the mother or half the wife that Dan has been nuts. I get comments when you look like I do, you know, from all kind of folks. I was down in Foley, Alabama, speaking at a school. I did a Texas school last week. But uh, 
I'm walking down the hall. Kid grabbed me by the sleeve down there and says, where's your hand, man? I was up in Hart, Michigan. Y'all talk funny up there, bro. Yeah? A little girl looked at me. She said, can you see out of your eye? I had it in my pocket. I said, I don't know, honey. Can you? And I flipped it to her. Okay. You know? <laughs> it, it hit it hit a cone of chest, roll across the floor. She she fainted, graveyard dead, you know. <laughs> but the comment I generally get, when I walk in a schoolhouse, first thing I hear, kid looks at me and says, Are you a pirate? So I live on the ocean in South Carolina, Pauly's Island, and my folks settled that area in seventeen hundred. George Washington stayed with my about seven granddaddies ago for three days. Uh, I wasn't near it in. But anyway, but Anyway, coming from the beach and all, I thought I'd bring you a pirate story today. Pirate had a wooden leg. Little boy said, man, how come you get that wooden leg? He said, I'm on a ship. Cannonball came through the side of the ship, tore my leg off, had a good wooden leg. He said, I'm going to stand there, but you got a hook. Now, I got a hook in the car. I use it to hunt and fish, but it's hard to come through. You ain't coming through a, an airport with a, with a hook on, I guarantee you. <laughs> but the pirate had a hook. Little boy said, how come you got the hook? So I was in a duel, sword fight, got my arm got a, cut off. Had to get a hook. He said, I ain't going to say that. But you got a patch. Why are you wearing a stupid patch? I was on a ship one day, beautiful sunny day like today, and I'm standing on the deck looking up. A group of seagulls came right over. Sure enough, one of them did his thing. Right in my eye. Little boy said, mercy, man. That caused you to lose your eye? I said, no, not really. Just the first day that I had my hook. You know, uh, <laughs> Covenant eyes. What, what honor to be here in New Covenant and, and get to see and know people like you, and it's what a, what a blessing. You know, our church gets that cross just like that in, in, in our church, and I appreciate it. And, you know, we just had Easter Sunday last Sunday. And remember the 40 days before Easter, the Lent season, a lot of denomination churches, they give up. They might give up ice cream or soft drinks or cake or coffee or things we might ought to give up anyhow. And the money they, they save during that time, they give it to the church. And the church needs the money. We want to build on that new property you got and all that's good. But I like a customer they had in Romania years ago. Instead of, well, instead of, I think personally, instead of giving up something, maybe we ought to start something during the Lent season. Maybe you want to think about it now. Reading through your Bible each year, reading five Psalms a day. Psalms is man's relationship to God. Not a bad relationship to have. Proverbs is man's relationship to man. How to treat your husband, your wife, your employees, your children. And every 31 days, get through 150 Psalms and 31 Proverbs. Maybe a devotion you hadn't had. Start something. But in Romania years ago, during the Lent season, 40 days before Easter, they had a custom when they met somebody, instead of saying, hey, hi, y'all, hello there, good to see you, they met with a greeting, Christ has risen. And the answer would come back, Christ has risen indeed. Housewife, cross the fence to a housewife. Christ has risen. Answer back. Christ has risen indeed. Businessman on the way to work. Christ has risen. Answer back. Christ has risen indeed. School student going to a fellow classmate. Christ has risen. Answer back. Christ has risen indeed. In Romania years ago, the communists moved in. Sort of like they do in a lot of countries today. And taken over. And they rounded the people up on the villages got them on the village square and on that Easter Sunday instead of having a sunrise service like we had last Sunday 
The leader of the Communist Party was there. The troops and the soldiers were all around, and people forced to stay there. And he got up and he mocked God. He made fun of God on and on and on. And as he got through, he looked out at the crowd that were forced to stay there and said, Does anyone here have anything to say? And way back in the back, a teenage boy stood. And that's what I appreciate so much about you young people. You know us old folks, we sit back, pull mouth, and bellyache about everything. But a teenager, a young person, will take a stand. Or they may stand for the wrong cause. They may march with the wrong crowd. But you know, I found if we train them right, teach them right, they'll stand for what's right. And this young boy stood. And that leader looked at him and he said, son, you got something to say? If it is not what I've been saying for the past hour and a half, you see these seven soldiers here on the ground? They've got rifles and they're loaded. One wrong word. Anything you say that doesn't agree with what I've been saying, and son, you're dead. Teenage boy said, yes, sir, I have but one thing to say. 20,000 eyes watching, 20,000 ears listening intently. And that teenage boy stood before that crowd and said, Christ has risen. Only thing that blotted out the sound of the rifles, they fired and tore at that young man's heart, and he slumped dead on that platform with 10,000 voices at the top of their lungs. Christ has risen indeed. He has risen for you and for me. But let me ask you, what difference, what difference is this risen Christ meant in your day-to-day walk, your day-to-day talk? I thank God for a teenage boy that's willing to stand, willing to fall in the gap for the cause of Christ Jesus. As we travel this country, We've been blessed. We drove a Trailways bus two and a half million miles in 17 years. Grandma was 89. God called her home. She went with us everywhere we went, Our wife, my wife's grandmother. And I think God's word can very well describe the U.S. of A., the United States of Abundance, this great land we're honored, blessed, and privileged to call home. I know the Lord's talking about a different part of the world, but couldn't this describe America today? Deuteronomy Chapter 8, verse 7 through 12. Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 12. Couldn't this very well be our country today? For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of fountains and brooks, a land of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and plum granites, a land of all olive and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not like anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he have given thee. Eleventh verse, beware. Anytime God says beware, that's what he's talking about. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, we become too proud and forget the Lord your God. As we travel this great country, I heard full, loud, long, and lasting cries being made throughout America. One group stands up and says, Cleve, the hope, the answer for America today is learn, learn, learn. Education, they say, is the answer for our country. I believe in education. 
I taught and coached at junior high school, taught and coached at high school, had a college coaching job. My sisters have taught public schools for 36 years. But you know, I don't believe God's nearly concerned about a person's IQ as much as he is your I will. You go to every school in Texas, you get so many degrees, they call you Mr. Ms. Fahrenheit. But if you're not willing to do something with that degree for the glory of God, you're not going to make it. Education alone is not the answer for our country. The second cry I heard was a group said, Cleve, the hope, the answer for America is not learn, but earn. Wealth, material things, many say is the answer for America. I grew up on a 10,000-acre plantation in South Carolina. I used to duck hunt and deer hunt with Tom Yawkey on the Boston Red Sox. I've been in the home of H.L. Hunt with the richest oil men in Mount Vernon in Dallas, Texas. I've been with Ross Perot. I've been with Sam Walton. I've been with the DuPonts, the Dodgers, the Vanderbilts. My granddaddy was caretaker for Bernard Baruch, financial advisor for six presidents. I've never met the first man that's bought a good wife, that's bought a happy home, that's bought peace, that's bought joy. Those are free gifts from the Lord Jesus Christ. Earning wealth, material things are not the answer for our country. Third cry I heard was on the college campuses. Late 1960s, early 1970s, and y'all, I hadn't figured out yet why they were there. They couldn't learn anything to refuse to study. They couldn't earn anything to refuse to work. That cry wouldn't learn, wouldn't earn, what was it? Burn, baby, burn, they marched and chanted. Galatians 6, 7 teaches, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Hosea 8, 7 says, you sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. That's what you reaped at Kent State with burn, baby, burn. I stand with you today. I said, there's hope for America today, hope for the world today. It's not learn. It's not earn. I guarantee it's not burn. There's only one hope. Turn. Turn back to the Word of God. God gave us a promise. Second Chronicles 7, chapter 14th verse, talking to church people, talking to folks such as you and I. What did he say? If my people. But you call by my name, will humble themselves, kneel and pray, and seek my face and turn. T U R N, turn from their wicked ways. It says, Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Right. Let me ask you if our land ever needed healing, yeah. we need it today on drinking problems, drug problems. Illegal and legal. Abortion. Or, um, pornography, that kind of stuff. Child abuse, wife abuse, abortion. Everybody I know for it's already been born. You notice that? <laughs> we need to turn back to Bible study and prayer. I carry my Bible with me everywhere I go. Somebody said, you didn't take a, in a school in Texas last week. Did I said, sure did. Some atheistic, ungodly lady, I use that term lady pretty loosely, took the Bible out of our schools. If it takes a shut-up Marine and put it back in, we're going to put it back in for God's glory. Amen. Amen. You ever stop to think what the first book in every school of America was? God's Holy Word. The first book ever printed on a printing press was the Word of God. You go back and see one way we took it out, we've been going downhill every day. We need to get back to Bible study and prayer. Amen. I didn't have to go to Vietnam. I was a college coach, a high school coach three years, had a college coaching job. September 1966, I saw a young man do something on a college campus I hope I never see again in person. 
After the game, a young man burned this American flag. You heard about a walk-on on the college campus? I was a walk-off. I went into Paul Diesel's office after the game, said, Coach, I'm leaving. I'm going to Paris Island. I'm joining the Corps. Coach said, you crazy. A few days later, I met Sergeant Ford from Randall, Kentucky. And Coach was right, let me tell you. But I endured some Marine training. They found I had a college education. They sent me an officer's program from there to Vietnam. Wrote a book about it, made a movie about it. But like share with you, my last patrol. Had a recon team. We'd have gone in an area that very few men had been. Instead of going with a six-man team, we went in with 13 men. Landed on a small tea plantation in the middle of a large valley. As we landed, we found punji pits, booby traps, mines. But we were very fortunate. Nobody was killed sitting there on the hill. I cleared a punji pit, got in the bottom of that. Had my radio man, McCormick, dig a foxhole to my left, streaming in a foxhole to my right. About 50 yards behind me, a bomb had exploded. Left a big hole, big crater in the ground, and I put eight men around the edges of that bomb crater, thinking to have a good bit of protection. About 12 o'clock at night, I thought I heard some enemy movement at the bottom of the hill. I grabbed my shotgun, a Winchester Mile 12 pump, crawled out of the punji pit, started making my way to the right to see if these men had hurt anything. Before I got to them, a grenade came in. It exploded, hit me in the neck and in the shoulder, and like any other brave lieutenant, I jumped back in the hole I'd crawled out of. Started calling for artillery and air support opposition. While I was on radio, about 10 or 12 enemy, what we call a sapper unit and all, better known to you probably as a suicide squad. It's like these terrorists they got today. These men had grenades tied around their waist, had grenades in each hand and a pins pull, just ran up a hill exploding, killing themselves, trying to kill us. I didn't know them, didn't really have a lot against them. Just didn't want them killing me and my men. And we shoot them just as fast as we could. One guy right in front of me, I shot him. His mother brought me the hole with me as he fell in. He had some of his hands about the size of one of you ladies' pocketbooks as a satchel charge is full of explosion. He fell in on this and exploded. Blew the toe of the side of the punji pit. I'd go through the air. I reached back for my shotgun. I realized the blast had blown my left arm off just above my elbow. Looked to my left, my radio man, McCormick, were dead or unconscious at the time. I wasn't sure which. Heard me screaming in the right crowd, what happened to Ganey Kunifox hole? I think we got a picture of him, a young man, Ralph Johnson, 10th grader, Burke High School, Charleston, South Carolina. Ralph jumped on the grenade, smothered with his stomach, blew himself in half, saved my life and the life of two Marines with him. His family later received the nation's highest award, the Congressional Medal of Honor. 38 years ago, we named the VA hospital in Charleston. If you've been to Charleston, South Carolina, it was at Charleston VA. It's Ralph H. Johnson, none of Ralph. Eight years ago, my wife and I went out on Mayor Riley, named the street in Charleston after him. Yesterday, the Navy dedicated a ship and christened it in Mississippi, and it's christened Ralph H. Johnson, none of Ralph. And I appreciate that. <laughs> But that night, I tried to get over to him as I crawl that way. Another grenade came in. As I did, I threw my hands up. This arm was off. Right hand covered my right eye. Grenade exploded. Blew my left eye out. Nose off. Teeth on the left side out. Both eardrums out. Lost most of the use of my right hand. Things looked pretty tough. And I figured my only chance getting a crater where I had eight men behind me. I tried running for the bomb crater. Before I got there, 
I could hit him in the legs. I lay there, it seemed like hours. I don't know how long it passed, but believe me, y'all, I never wanted to live so bad all my life. If I could just see my men get off that hill alive, if I could see my bride one more time. I heard some movement behind me, I said, it's over now. As it got closer, I heard something go, Lieutenant, Lieutenant. Recognize the voice, 18-year-old Marine I had from Alaska. Rod Hunter, riding up on my feet, would just pick any of me off as came up a hill. Bob Lucas from Fort Worth came over and knelt by me, a Navy Cross winner in an earlier fight we'd had. Bob got on radio, called for pi- choppers. The pilot said he couldn't get there at daylight. Bob said, tell him, forget it. We've been throwing rocks down the side of the hill, out of grenades. Won't anybody be left at daylight? Pilots reconsidered. 3 a.m., the first bird landed. They put my two dead, five wounded in that chopper. As it lifted, the next one landed. The rest of my men grabbed hold. As that bird lifted, about 150 enemy just covered the hill. Five more minutes, probably nobody got out of there alive. They flew us to Marble Mountain, had surgery there, from there to Japan, from there to Bethesda, Maryland. I started walking a little bit. They said, son, your best bet's to go home on leave. I came to my wife's hometown, Florence, South Carolina, and I read in the paper one day, one of my heroes is going to be out at the football field that night, Bobby Richardson, former second baseman in New York Yankees. And Laura there in the paper said, Vonda K. Van Dyke, former Miss America from Arizona. I'm a country boy from South Carolina. I ain't, I ain't totally smart. I told my wife, I said, I sure like to go see Bobby Richardson. <laughs> You know, any Marine likes to miss America. I said, let's go. And we went out to the high school stadium. Bobby and Von Case shared, as I have today, and Billy Zioli from Muskegon, Michigan, President Ford's personal chaplain, brought a message. God used to change our lives. And in Billy's message at night, he said, there are two kind of fools in this world, a fool for Christ and a fool for others. He said, whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? I knew that night whose fool I'd been all my life. See, I never drank and never smoked just to let an all-fool sports. Been all state in, state champion a mile run, just impress people. Preach, I'd gone to Sunday school and church ever since nine months before I was born because that's what mom and dad told me to do. <laughs> 26 years of my life, I walked out of church just about like this, and every Sunday, a little old white-headed lady patted me on the back told me what a fine Christian boy I was. Y'all ever heard that before? You know, so many people told me I was a Christian. I thought I was. Dan and I, we had Bible study, prayer, family devotion ever since we first got married. I impressed her. She impressed me. Let me tell you, God wasn't impressed. We had a whole lot in our head, but we had an empty vacuum in our heart that only the Lord through his Holy Spirit can fill. And that night, we came forward and knelt, prayed, confessed our sins in a very personal way, invited the Lord Jesus to come in our hearts. And we found with a real joy, the real life, real peace, so many are searching for that comes through that personal relationship with a living Savior. You may think that my men suffered at night on that hill, that I suffered, that my wife has suffered. 41 operations we've been through and growing up with an alcoholic daddy like she had and abuse that she had. You suffer, don't you? Broken home situation, beauty problem growing up, drinking problem, drug problem. A lot of folks have had that in their, in their lives. Injury, sickness, illness, death in the family, maybe a layoff, a financial struggle.
But Deanna and I found that our Bible has become our most prized possession. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says, We rejoice in our suffering. Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't disappoint us. Because God's love been put into our hearts is a free gift from the Holy Spirit. In those verses, the word character, and I believe character is a great word in America right now, but I believe it's a misused word. To get into school these days, you got to have a theme. And I, I go in with a drug and alcohol theme. You say, come on, man, you typical Vietnam vet, you had a drug problem? Let me tell you, young people, I had a serious drug problem. My daddy drugged me to work, <laughs> drugged me to school, drugged me to church, drugged me to practice. I wish more young people had that same daddy with that same problem. Daddies, we made a mistake. We meant well, but what have we done? We tried to give our children everything we didn't have. Give them everything money can buy. You know, I believe we ought to give what we had. Give them a few things money can't buy. Honesty, integrity, loyalty, discipline, commitment, matters. Fellas, Take that cap off when you come in a building, every building. Stand up when a lady comes in a room. Open a door for a lady. Close the door. Pull it, you out. Push it back. And girls, let them do it. <laughs> yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. I love you. Simple words, but important words. That's what's made this country great. That's our only hope. Dan and I did the governor's prayer breakfast, Boise, Idaho. That's a pretty year out there. Got a weird-looking blue football field, but a pretty good, guy, a pretty good team on it. But we got good-looking young people here today. That kid's in Idaho, the worst-looking thing I've seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to have any color hair, wouldn't you, boy? These guys, they had yellow hair, purple hair, pink hair, spikes hair. I never seen One old boy, bless his heart, had an air bob coming through his tongue. Fish hooks through his lips. It hurt me. Look at that boy. I said, son, how you kiss a pretty little girl with the things in your mouth? He said, I take them out. I said, son, I'd leave them out. You look like an idiot, you know. <laughs> we got so many young people trying to be characters. We don't need to be characters. We need to have character. Amen. I was in Foley, Alabama. A little boy come up, pickup truck, blew the horn. Girl come running out the door. Let me tell you, fellas, you come in front of my house and blow the horn, Jesus will be there for them girls come out. Let me tell you. <laughs> You come see my granddaughters, you got to talk to granddaddy, and I'm in the back room cleaning my shotgun. <laughs> Five minutes late, you go wake up dead. Let me tell you. <laughs> hey, uh, one of our little twins, uh, Daniel had cancer for six years, cancer-free right now. His twin sister, Caroline, she says, go to Christian school, same school Joe Gibbs and Shirley go to there in Lake Norman. 17, 15, 14, 15-year-old. The little boy wouldn't put his hands on her. She looked at him and said, let me tell you, granddaddy got a shotgun and a shovel. You will not be missed. Um, <laughs> when I was in that mass unit, no way I was supposed to live. It's a deathbed situation. You, know, you go to school together, work together, go to church together, get close. You fight together, you get close too. And my men that could walk came by one at a time just to get a last look, just to tell me bye. I started to say they were crying, but you know, Marines, we think we're tough, man. We don't cry, but the eyeballs were sweating pretty good. 
And they put a plaque down by me, and on that plaque it said, in this world of give and take, there are not enough people willing to give what it takes. What an honor to be at New Covenant with the leadership you have, with Pastor Fisher and others, and folks like you preparing yourself mentally, physically, spiritually. Willing to give what it takes for faith, Amen. for flag, for families, you veterans, our freedom, you precious young people, our future. The way of life we know and enjoy so well because of great folks like you. It's time to close. And in closing, I like to use the illustration of a baseball diamond Billy Sunday once used. And I love to use a diamond as an illustration for your life because you are a diamond. You're precious. And as you look at that diamond of your life, let's let first base that diamond, first base your life, be salvation. God's Word teaches you must be born again, a personal relationship with a living Savior. And let's let second base your life be church membership. And as I travel the country, I see some folks lose interest in the church. But remember what the Lord Jesus called the church? Call it His bride. His bride. I like that. You talk about this shot-up Marine all you want to. You can talk about my... Daughters, Taryn, Christy, you talk about my five grandchildren. You talk about my bride, and I'll fight you. And I think that's the way we should be about church. God wants you in that second base of a Bible, believing in preaching church such as this. Just being baptized, just being obedient to the Word of God. Third base of your life is service. We got some veterans served our country longer and better than I have. But you know, I think it's time now that we serve the Lord. Amen. Sing in a praise group, teach Sunday school, go out on visitation, give to missions. That third base of service is exciting. Mm -hmm. And whole play to your life's heaven. The Bible prophesies, I go to prepare a place for you. That special place is heaven. 1924, the World Series was played. Washington, New York played that year. Baseball season started yesterday. Washington won three games. New York won three games. Seventh game, the ninth inning, two outs in the ninth. Score was tied. You can imagine tension, excitement. Last game, last out, World Series. New York pitcher wound up. He delivered. Goose Goslin, one of the leading hits of Washington, they started for Detroit, was at bat. Pitch came in. Goslin was left-handed. He swung. He connected. Ball went out left center field. It looked like his fourth home run. But instead of clearing the fence, Goslin dives to the side of the wall and bounced back on a playing field. Goose Goslin ran it first, hit it for second, ran it second, hit it for third. By this time, left fielder played the ball. Ricksy off the wall. He fielded. it. He turned he threw for home with everything he had. God was coming out of the third baseline. Throw was coming in from left field. Everyone from Washington was standing. Every New York was standing. They knew it was going to be close at home. But as the throw came in, peg was high. Catching New York had a stretch way up as he reached to get it. Goslin slid under him. Everybody said, throw been high. Tag was late. Goslin was safe at home. Crowd went wild. Hollering, yelling, running the field, ripping up the bases. But as they got near home plate, as that dust settled there at home, that fella dressed in blue. That old pie was quieted behind the plate with his fists up in the air screaming, You're out! You're out! Kill that umpire. <laughs> Blind them up. Everybody said throw was high, tag had been late. How in the world could he call him out at home plate? Umpire grabbed a megaphone. He turned, he faced the crowd, came out celebrating. All of a sudden, wanted to kill him. Says, I've called the base runner out because he never touched first base. 
He failed a tag for space. You look at that diamond of your life today. Do you know for sure? Are you certain? Have you stepped on first base? One day, we go all around third base of life. The Lord tarries. You go sliding home, and El Pai going to look at you and say, Safe, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into thy reward. One day, you go sliding home. Thus, your life's going to settle. And that umpire could be standing over you with his fists up near screaming, you're out. You're out. You're going to brush yourself off and jump up like I did. Say, why me, Lord? How could I be up? Man, I went to Sunday school. I went to church. I did this. I didn't do that. I'm better than that guy. He's going to look at you and reply with the saddest words in the Bible. Say, depart from me because I never knew you. I never knew you. He didn't say he didn't love you. Or that he didn't care. Or that he didn't die for you. He simply said, depart from me, because I didn't know you. I never, oh, you grew up in America saying, faith of our fathers and God bless America. God doesn't have a family plan. Our parents, our grandparents could be tremendous Christians. There's never been, there never will be a grandchild of God. You're a child of God, or you're lost. You overran. You failed a tag. You personally missed that first base. Let us bow in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every heart lifted. Is a holy hush of God come to this sanctuary today. And you look at that baseball diamond of your life. You may say, Cleve, I've never heard it quite like this. I've never looked at my life as a baseball game, as a baseball diamond. But as I do today, I need to replay that game. And I want to make sure today I touch that first base. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want to pray for you. So please pray for me. I'll just lift your hand up and say, I need to touch that first base. I want to make sure today, if that's your need, would you just show your hand right now? I want to make sure today I touch that first base. While I don't see many hands, any hands, but you know our hearts. In your heart, you may need to pray a prayer like this, saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Because your word teaches we've all sinned and come short of your glory. And the wages of sin is death, but the good news is we can have eternal life through Christ Jesus. This first Sunday in April, I want to make sure I touch that first place. Today, I confess my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invite you in a very personal way to come dwell in my heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Help me. Help me, Lord, to live for you. His bowed, eyes closed, you need to be that second base of church membership. Just being baptized, just being obedient to the Word of God. You need to speak to somebody about membership in a church like this. But the biggest need in this church today is probably on that third base of service. In the Marines, the military, we used to re-up or re-enlist. As Christians, we need to rededicate or dedicate our lives to the Lord. As a Marine, I hated the word surrender. I thought it meant defeat. But yeah, I found when I surrendered my life all to the Lord Jesus, it's not defeat, but it's real victory. Maybe you don't have that real victory in your married life, your business life, your church life, your school life, your personal life. Maybe you need it between you and the Lord to get on that third base and surrender a dedicated life. Father, I pray as we look at that baseball diamond of our lives today, whether that first base of salvation, that second base of church membership, at that third base of surrendered, dedicated life.
We'll be obedient to you and to your Holy Spirit that we do what you'd have us to do for your glory. We thank you. We praise you. We give you the glory now for the victory that's yours only because of Calvary. In thy name we pray, and to God be the glory. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Cleve, if you don't mind, just stay right here just for a second. Did you guys enjoy that this morning? How many? Come on. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Um, Cleve, one of the things that we do here at New Covenant is we, um, we, we are so honored when we get to partner, when we get to to just um, to pray for people and encourage people. And we know that you travel all over the country and that your influence is really um, all over the world. And so uh, we know that you've given out, you've been gone from home and so much. So uh, what we'd like to do is we'd like to just pray for you this morning. Is that all right? Would that be okay? Church, would you, uh, would you just um, reach your hand this way forward this morning? Come on, we want to... We want to just pray. We want to bless. Um, we want to bless Cleve. We want to thank the Lord. Aren't you thankful for uh, that God spared him this morning? Aren't you thankful that his message, this message, is really impacting lives around the world? So, Father, we thank you so much. God, what an honor it is to stand here with uh, Cleve McClary today. God, to know that uh, that your hand is upon his life and that you are using him, God, and God, just amazing ways to influence men and women and boys and girls, Lord, all over this land. We, uh, we thank you. We thank you for Cleve and for his uh, wife and for his children, for his family. Lord, we, we just pray, God, uh, that you will continue to bless him. We pray that you will just open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing upon them in every area, God. That you will just give him a fresh anointing of strength, God, of, uh, of everything that he needs in his body, God, of everything that he needs, God, financially, Lord, that you'll meet every need according to your riches and glory. And God, that as, um, that as Cleve uh, leaves, God, uh, this place today, God, that he'll walk, God, just with, with um, just an extra pep in his step, Lord, that, he will just, uh, that he'll just be refreshed and renewed and ready to continue on, to continue faithful until we really do round third and head for home, Lord. So we, uh, we bless him now, and we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.